last time we talked in our Ties That Bind series from Ephesians chapter 4, we were talking about maturity, uh, more about the other side of that. Paul was talking about, uh, you know, when are you going to quit acting like toddlers? He was basically telling the Ephesian church that. When are you guys going to grow up? Um, and, you know, there is... Uh, reason to celebrate when a child is born. In fact, that's probably one of the most celebrated events. You have the showers and you have gifts flying around and everybody loves, their, loves a little baby. Uh, but we know that if our child is a healthy child, they're going to grow as cute as they are there. You know, uh, we don't want them to be that size in three or four years. We want, we want them to grow. If they're healthy, they will. They'll get, they'll get taller. They'll get heavier. Uh, they're going to learn how to do stuff, say their first words, um, eventually tie the, you know, walk and tie their shoes and eventually go off to school with their little backpack on and, and use a fork. I'm still waiting on that with my 17-year-old using a fork. We'll, we'll get there eventually. Uh, by the time they're three or four, they'll learn how to use a phone probably, right? Now how that works now? Three or four-year-olds on iPhones? Seems like it. And some, at some point, as both my kids have done, they'll learn uh, probably how to drive a car. So, so they're going to grow up if they're healthy, if things are going well. And uh, so fully and completely, our expectation is that our little ones will, will grow up uh, as the years pass. And Paul has shared with us last week, and then he'll share with us again this week, um, what that looks like. And the last time we got together, it was pretty negative. I'm sorry about that. But Paul was really just talking about, here are marks of immaturity. And tonight we're going to kind of go to the other side of the ledger and talk about maturity. And we're really going to zero in on us as individuals, although this is really a collective study about the ties that bind us together tonight. It's going to be a little more individual because we're each at different places along our discipleship journey. So it's not really just a one-size-fits-all thing for all of us. But, you know, when Jesus uh, spoke in, in John chapter 3 to Nicodemus, who came to him at night, a Pharisee, a leader in the Sanhedrin. Jesus talked to him, remember, about this, this birth of water and spirits. Uh, and that beautiful moment, that celebration, that's, that's the birth moment, right, in, in the kingdom of God that, that is celebrated, that we rejoice over, that baptism of a new believer, applause and hugs. And uh, we give out gifts here at Preston Crest. Uh, we give them a new Bible with their name on it. Um, it's really, though, it's the beginning of the journey, right? Baptism is it's, it's the starting, starting gate, the birth point, not the finish line. It's not, it's not the goal. And so our hope is that this child of God, and they may be 8 years old or they may be 80 years old, giving their life to Christ, coming out of the waters of baptism. But our hope is that they will grow, that they will develop. Um, the disciple will become someone much different over the years than that sopping wet, you know, new uh, child of God that stands there after their baptism. The way, as we progress in our Christian lives, the way that we think, more like Jesus over time. The way that we talk, a little bit more like Jesus over time. Uh, the way that we spend our money, a little bit more kingdom-oriented over the years. Uh, and the more, 
The, the way that we love should be more and more like the way Jesus loves. Even, I think, the way that we feel over the years. We should feel more and more like Jesus. We don't like talking about feeling in the Church of Christ so much, but the way we feel. And the things that, that we fear, the things that we care about, um, those should be things that more and more correspond to, to Jesus. Amen? Well, Paul let us know in that study a couple weeks ago that it's, it's good, it's proper for us to expect, for us to have this expectation of growth, uh, of development. The apostle said as we develop in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, he said, this is there in the slides, I think, he said, we will no longer be infants. Really cute when you're an infant. Really cute when you're a baby or a babe in Christ. That's really sweet. That's amazing. But that we won't stay there. That we will no longer be infants. And he knew those people well. Paul had worked with them a lot and had left his protege Timothy there to work with them. And when he thought about these Christian sisters and brothers that he knew, he'd been in their homes, he had done life with them, and considered how um, many of them had grown in their faith, grown in their commitment to Jesus and his mission, and, uh, and grown in their service to others, in their love, uh, in their ministries, in the church. And, and when he thought about them, he considered how, how much some of those brothers and sisters had grown. And frankly, others, I think he thought about, based on what he wrote, how they, they really hadn't grown all that much. There were disciples in Ephesus who were living in intimate connection to the Holy Spirit. Their lives were full of the Spirit. They were maturing. They were developing. They were serving. They were going deeper with the Lord. And others continued living for themselves. By all appearances, disconnected from the Spirit. Some grew in Ephesus. Others just stagnated. And others just kind of disappeared back into the world. Now, I'm sure the Apostle... Paul had nothing against babies. I mean, how could you have something against babies, right? But he did have something against disciples who remained in the nursery, who remained babies. Uh, those months of passies and onesies and burp rags, those are precious months. But that phase is supposed to only be temporary. Paul implores them there in verse 14, and this is from the message. Paul implores them, no prolonged infancies among us, please. We'll not tolerate babes in the woods, small children who are an easy mark for imposters, and they are. Small children have to be protected and cared for 24-7. Um, I remember when my wife and and I were pregnant with uh, Claudia, with our first child. Uh, it's been a while back. Uh, it's been quite a few years back. And at the time, these books had just gotten popular. And if you've done parenting uh, in the early 90s until now, I'm sure you are familiar with these books. What to expect when you're expecting uh, and then when Claudia got a little older, these books just kept being published with regularity. When she got a little bit older, um, we bought the book, What to Expect the First Year. Have you guys seen these books? 
very, very, very popular books. USA Today actually called, uh, called that first book, What to Expect When You're Expecting, one of the 25 most influential books of the last three decades. What to expect when you're expecting. Because it's helpful, especially for first-time parents and first-time moms, to kind of know, okay, this, this is normal, right? This is okay. I don't need to run to the doctor for this. Or This is not normal. It's, it's great to know kind of these benchmarks, these, these landmarks along the way as, as you prepare and that little boy or girl is, is growing to make sure they're growing as they should. In the first year, same thing. Should, they, should my child be walking yet? Should my child be sleeping through the night yet? Should my child be eating 15 times a day? Or maybe they should be eating like five times a day at this point. And I remember uh, we did what so many of us do. Eventually, as both of our children started standing up and walking, we started, you know, we started making those marks, right? Those little marks on a door frame there in our house. How many of you all did that? How many of you put the, the growth marks, right? And you put, you put their age, you know, Claudia, age three. And, and you'd make those marks until at some point you just kind of quit making the marks. Um, it's a little weird once they get to be 15, 16 years old. to be, hey, little David, would you stand here and I'll make some marks? But it's pretty cool when they're young to kind of track that progress, that physical progress at least. And well, Paul wants us to kind of know what to expect in the discipleship journey after someone comes to Christ. So I guess you could say the reading tonight is, is Paul's What to Expect Disciples edition. Okay, um, So we know that spiritual maturity, it, it isn't instantaneous. It doesn't happen overnight. Um, we know it's a process. We know that it goes slowly. I think we can acknowledge that. Uh, but what should we expect, Paul? What should we expect when it comes to growing spiritually, to maturing. Um, a key to any maturity process, I think, is to see what the end result should look like, right? Like, what is my, to my, my tomato plant supposed to look like when it's full-grown and when it's ready to produce tomatoes? What is, my, what, what, what is this person supposed to look like when they're grown up? Um, how, you know, th those kinds of questions are good questions to ask, and so it's good to have a vision of kind of where you're headed. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. This is our reading tonight. Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 17 and go through verse 24. Let's listen to Paul's what to expect here. With the Lord's authority, I say to you, live no longer as Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because, why? They have closed their minds and they have hardened their hearts against Him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus, and since you have learned the truth that comes from Him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and by deception. 
Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature created to be like God. Truly righteous and holy. So there's some markers that we should be putting on our wall here as we go through our, our Christian life. I mean, there, there are some, some signs that we're growing, that we're heading in the right direction. And we should expect to see these things happening in our lives. And I think it's helpful to get this vision of where we're headed. I mean, we all have different personalities and gifts and talents and, and backgrounds and all this stuff, but we are all headed to this one destination. And it's right there in verse 24. It is putting on the new nature, the spirit nature that we have been given when we come to Christ. And it is a nature that is created to be like God, holy and righteous. That's where we're headed. That's where we're headed. That's the direction. So what to expect? Disciples edition. Expect that to grow up into the new you, expect that you will be marked by the righteousness and the holiness of God. So, we know the Lord expects this, and uh, we know it's a really big deal to Him to watch His kids grow up. I mean, something like 90 plus percent, I haven't, I gotta confess, I didn't like chart this out or something, this is just estimate, but something like 90 plus percent of the New Testament is devoted to this, right? It's letters written to churches full of Christians to help them go from birth into their growth process as disciples of Christ. That's most of what the New Testament is, uh, the discipline of actually growing as we follow Jesus. And so it's important to God. And it's interesting, typically preachers, especially in our tradition, preachers go to passages on baptism, typically to try to convince people to do it, right? I mean, we generally are quoting Acts 2.38 or, or Mark 16, 15 and 16, or you name it. We're generally, or 1 Peter 1.21, we're, we're generally quoting these passages in order to try to get somebody into the baptistry. Paul is never doing that, right? I mean, look at all of the... I think there are 17 references where Paul talks about baptism. He is never talking to someone who is a non-believer and trying to talk them into a baptistry. Paul is not working toward the baptistry. Paul is always working from the baptistry. Or think of it like this. Paul is working from the birth moment and walking them forward. Because of this moment in your past, because you were born as a child of God, because you're now born of the Spirit... These are the kinds of things you should expect to see. So 100% of the time, he is encouraging believers to live from their baptism, to grow up into all that Jesus accomplished there when they gave their lives to him. Now, mostly, we're trying to convince people to get into the baptistry, but Paul works from the baptistry. He is speaking of their new faith and their new birth in the waters of baptism to encourage them to grow, to encourage them to continue on, from that birth moment in Christ on to maturity. Now again, there are some things that can stunt our growth, some things that can hold us back, if you will. And we talked about those in Ephesians 4 a couple of weeks ago. Tonight, let's work through some of the growth markers 
what to expect, disciples edition in that passage we just read. Like he told them, um, he told them in verse 17, he said, so no longer live, how? No longer live as the, gen- no longer live as the non-Christians do in the futility, that's wheels spinning, that's going nowhere in the futility of their thinking. Um, so over time, he's telling disciples, they should expect to start what? To start thinking differently. To start thinking differently. Uh, the Ephesian Christians, they're people like us. I mean, I don't know what their, all of their struggles were in the first century A.D., but they were real folks. They had hopes and fears. They had stressors in their lives. They had concerns and anxiety, responsibilities, um, just like us. Um, they were surrounded, I know this in Ephesus, they were surrounded by a culture like our own in that it was not a culture that, that supported faith. It was not a culture, they weren't getting messages outside the church that were really building them up in Christ, and I don't think we are either. So thinking, I like that, thinking. Um, like should believers and unbelievers, think about this one, should believers and unbelievers think differently about marriage, for example? I would say, yeah, should think very differently about marriage. Um, God joined my wife and myself. He joined us together uh, so we could enjoy each other's company, yes, but for more than that as well. Um, so that we could serve and honor and love and grow in that just as Christ loves and serves and honors His church and sacrifices for her. Like if things aren't going well for the believer, step on toes, but I guess that's kind of my job, right? I mean, I've got to preach the truth. Um, like as believers, I don't think divorce is an option ex- except in extraordinary circumstances, very exceptional circumstances. That's just not an option. I remember when Isla and I were dating because I knew she came from a non-Christian home and her mom has been married five times now and that fifth marriage is over. Um, But uh, that's her background. So we talked a lot about this. I I loved her and I was like, but you have to know Isla for me, divorce is not an option. I mean, I know marriage is going to be tough uh, and you know it. I mean, you've seen that in your walk. So let's just are you with? And she said, yeah. She said, based on what I've seen, divorce is not an option. So we just kind of talked through that, and that's where we landed. So marriage, you know, the world thinks about it um, in terms of what am I getting out of this marriage? Eh? Am I being honored? Am I being respected? Am I getting my share in this relationship? The disciple is thinking, okay, what can I pour into this marriage? What can I do to make this better? What can I do to listen better? What can I do to be better at forgiving? What can I do better to, to make us into, into a better team, to go stronger? You know, I like this, this analogy, and I think Craig Rochelle and his wife uh, wrote something like this, so I'm probably ripping them off. I can't remember for sure. But I like this analogy. Look, when my car runs out of gas, do I sell it? No. When my car runs out of gas, do do I scrap it? No, I put more gas in. (laughs) I put more gas in. 
And as a disciple of Jesus, my thinking about my marriage is, is a lot the same. If I'm having trouble, if, boy, if we're running on fumes, it's time to pour more gas in. It's time to fuel that baby up, not abandon it. So where the world gives up, we as believers give. Where the world gives up, we as believers give. So a growth marker, Paul says, is that we think differently as we grow in Christ. We think differently about people. Um, we begin seeing people's value and potential in Christ just as Jesus, amen, saw value and, and potential in us. We're able to see with His eyes how people matter, every person. We think differently about how we spend our money. Um, we know that our money is from the Lord. He's let us borrow it for a time. He lets us use His stuff for a time, but He expects us to use it well. Um, yeah, we can enjoy what God has given us, but there is a higher calling for our cash, and it is to serve His kingdom agenda. And obviously, we could just boom, 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 boom. We could go through the list. We, we think differently about this, and we think differently about that, and we think differently about this other thing. We could do that all night. Uh, dozens of ways that we're supposed to think differently from the world. Um, just know that that's one of those markers. What to expect? Well, expect to think differently over the years, to look at people differently over the years. Um, Paul says, beyond our thinking, another measuring point for our faith as we grow is how we relate to the Word of God, how we relate to the Bible. Now, I don't think the, the greatest battle between God and Satan is some literal physical battle that's going to happen on the fields of Armageddon at some point in the future. I, and, and maybe, I could be, maybe I'm wrong on that. I don't think that. I think the greatest battle between God and Satan is happening now. And it's happening in the five inches of gray matter between my ears. <laughs> That's where I think the greatest battle is. That's where I think your greatest battle is, too. The battlefield of the mind. The battle between God and Satan for your mind. And that makes God's Word the greatest weapon in this battle. Ephesians 6, Paul says that, right? I mean, the Word of God is the, remember, the sword of the Spirit. It's, it's the weapon, right? It, it's the weapon the Spirit uses. And in this 66-book library, this Biblion, this Bible that we have, um, our fight to grow up into the, into the man or the woman that God has called us to be, we're going to find a lot of information, a lot of truth, a lot of challenging words from the Lord to help us in that battle. Now, infant disciples, <laughs> those who aren't growing well, um, well, listen to what Paul says about them in verse 18. Paul says, their minds are full of darkness. Their minds are full of darkness. He says, and this thinking, okay, this thinking, work with this. Um, verse 20, he says, this isn't what you learned about Christ, okay? This isn't what you were taught about Christ. Then he pleads with them in verse 23, back to thinking. He pleads with them, let the Spirit, verse 23, let the Spirit renew your thoughts. So again, thoughts, incredibly important. 
getting the bad ones, getting the twisted ones, getting the deception, getting all of that out and putting the thoughts of the Lord in your head and the Word of God is the best way to do that. To move from darkness to light, to clear this junk out of the junk drawer up here and tuning into God's Word, uh, that means I need to hear the Lord's voice in the Scriptures. And so Paul, talking to his protege Timothy, who was working in this city in Ephesus, said this, and, and you've heard this, I'm sure, before many times, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. He says to Timothy, Hey, Timothy, all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right God uses it. This is good. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. He uses, remember this is all about the Scriptures, how God uses it. He prepares us, He equips us, He challenges us. He helps us realize where we're off target. I love that. Growth markers. I mean, the Word of God is there to help us and equip us and prepare us. It's there so that we can grow into the people God has called us to be. And finally, as we connect with the Word of God, as we grow to love and appreciate the Lord more, we are able to start breaking through some of our bad habits, some of our some of our thinking that's off target, we're able to break free from some of our hang-ups. He says in Paul, 20, sorry, Paul. He says in verse 22 that we are able to put off our old self. To put off our old self. To leave the dirty diapers behind, right? To put off that stuff from the past that, that we've outgrown. Now, unfortunately... Some Christians, right? Uh, the ones that don't grow, <laughs> if you'll forgive me on this, um, it works in my mind. I hope it works in your mind. But I think they kind of adhere to the kitty litter principle. Let me explain that. <laughs> um, I love cats. Let me say that right off. I am a fan of cats. I don't have one right now, but we have in the past. I love cats. I have nothing against cats. I do not like kitty litter. I do not like litter boxes. And if you do, I would suggest... Something's a little off there, okay? All right. So, whenever, whenever Bubbles the cat or Fluffy or whoever it is, whenever, whenever that cat uh, does her business, be it number one or number two, uh, when she finishes, what does she do? Just puts a little litter on top of it, you know, just kicks a little bit, kicks a little bit of litter on top of it and, and leaves, you know, just moves it over the mess and moves on. And that's exactly what Bubbles is supposed to do. Congratulations, that is what your cat is supposed to do. That's not what we are supposed to do as disciples. I mean, unfortunately, I think some Christians, with their messes, with their junk, with their sin, with their filth, um, they, their strategy is to just cover it up. Just keep that hidden. It's not a good strategy not a good strategy uh, and it may be making sure that they don't get caught in their sin it may be that they are living a double life you know they're one person at church with their bible on sunday morning and they're a totally different person at work or at school or somewhere else 
Uh, whatever it is, though, it's all about for them. It's keeping that mess covered up. Keeping that mess covered up. And here's the thing about kitty litter. Someone has got to dump that out, right? I mean, someone has got to take care of that, uh, get rid of it. If not, that thing really starts to stink. And Paul says, put off your old self. Get rid of that. Deal with it. Um, seek help. If you need help, get counseling. Talk to a wise Christian sister or brother. Get, get help. Don't just cover it up. Pretend that it's not there and hope nobody notices. I mean, confess the filth. And that's what sin is, right? We're all sinners. Confess the filth. And those are some ways to get rid of it. And I think for us as we grow, it, it's, it's believing more and more in this vision that God has for us. Embracing that, loving that, wanting that. Um, trusting the grace of Jesus is not just to cover up your sin, but it is to deal with your sin. Right? Uh, so lean into the Spirit. The Spirit lives in you. Lean into the Spirit and, and, and let the Spirit power this growth process, this change, this metamorphosis that is happening in your life as a disciple. Listen to what Paul wrote here. Chapter 4, verses 23 to 24. He says, guys, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. And I think that's a pretty good place to, to finish. I mean, we can celebrate that, right? Um, while God, I, I celebrate that, while God needs our cooperation, we're certainly, this is a partnership and God is, has expectations for me and sees my potential and wants as any good father would, for, wants me to grow up. Uh, I celebrate that it's not all up to me. That the Spirit is very much involved. We said a couple of weeks ago, the Spirit is driving the bus on this. The Spirit is the one who makes this growth happen. And, and I think that's a reason. To worship and praise and thank God. Let's do that now as we stand together and worship.